Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm assuming I'm just, I should just start preaching now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because I was already introduced earlier uh, this, this morning. Uh, I was doing uh, devotion in the book of Exodus, and uh, something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, this question came up to my mind. Why is it that the people of Israel always complained, always argued with Moses, and eventually argued with God? I mean, you know, think about that. They were um, uh, saying, I'm, I'm, we're hungry, uh, we are thirsty, we are very uncomfortable here, uh, we would rather go back to Egypt, and so on. Uh, I'm sure that the living condition in, in, uh, in the desert area wasn't the best, and I'm sure that living with probably what some people think, uh, as many as two million people uh, living together, uh, camping out like that, uh, with no ends in sight, really, Uh, was not the best, best and, and pleasurable experience. But, you know, when we look at uh, world history, and when we look at how some people have survived some of the most difficult times, I mean, people actually do. They do survive. But why is it that the people of Israelites, uh, uh, people of Israel, they, they, they made a point of arguing with God's servant and eventually also arguing with God? Um, in fact, you know, as you know, the first generation died out in the in wilderness. Forty years was the time that they actually uh, wa uh, wandered around, and then eventually they all died. They never really got to see the promised land. I thought about it, and I think really the bottom line, the problem that they had was this, that they lacked a purpose. They lacked a sense of direction. They, they didn't really know where they were going, and more importantly, why they were going to uh, the promised land. And so it was easy for them to allow all these difficult things to come to them, and they were simply complaining and arguing and arguing. You know, um, I think of the importance of having a purpose, having a mission in life. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago when I was studying in Chicago, Uh, as part of my assignment, I had to do a, an ethnographic study of Willow Creek Church. Uh, I wanted to find out why is it that so many people were drawn to this church. And I remember interviewing this one uh, young father. He said, I have to drive to this church with three children, small children in the back. And I don't mind driving 40 minutes to this church. Why? Because I'm so... Uh, attracted to the church's mission statement. And the mission statement went something like, Willow Creek exists to turn irreligious people into fully uh, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And he said, well, it's so refreshing to come across a church that really knows what it's doing and knows where it's going. So I want to join this church, even if it means that I have to drive 40 minutes to get to this church. Now, you know, I think of... Um, Many churches today, and many churches, as, as we know, are struggling. Many churches are struggling. Young people are no longer to be found. Uh, some churches are actually closing down and so forth. And I think that uh, the problem is the same, the same problem that Israelites had. Many churches lack a sense of direction, sense of purpose, sense of mission. Many people do not know why they exist. Many churches do not know why they exist as a church. It was the prophet, and I like to call him the prophet of our generation, of our time, Leslie Newbigin. Some of you probably have come across this name. 
who helped us to understand the danger of the churches in the West, the danger, danger that the churches in the West uh, were facing. And he brought us to this important question of why do we exist as a church? As, as most of you know, he spent uh, his adult life in India as a missionary, and upon retirement, he went back to his home country, UK. And as was his, I suppose, uh, uh, habit, he went around and he shared the gospel. He would knock on the door and uh, he would ask people to, to uh, uh, consider Jesus Christ. One day he gets a phone call uh, and uh, someone uh, calls him and says, Why are you sharing the gospel and disturbing the people, uh, people from South, South Asia? Uh, at first he thought that the complaint came from that community. But actually it shocked him to find out that the complaint came not from that community, but from his fellow uh, citizen. Uh, he, uh, he, began, uh, he was really disturbed by the fact that most church people were content to live in that pluralist society, never really take, taking the time to raise this question, is Jesus really the only way? he learned that religion was very conveniently compartmentalized uh, uh, and it was now in a box called uh, private uh, religion, private uh, truth, personal truth. So what he did was he decided to come out of retirement and began writing some, some of the really creative and forceful stuff. Uh, you may have come across his books like uh, Foolishness to the Greeks or the Gospel in a Pluralist Society. Yeah, you're laughing, you, you must be, you can relate. Yeah, these actually are very, very fine uh, books. And um, so he burst, in a sense, or gave motivation, uh, at least in North America, this whole thing, the whole thing called the Missional Church Movement. And when you actually look at this Missional Church Movement, uh, what it is, is it's bringing back the mission, the purpose of the church. And so now many churches are looking around and saying, let's ask, why do we exist as a church? Now, when the, the passage that we read this morning, and by the way, I'm very curious what version that was. Uh, what was that? Is that your own version, your own translation? I've never come across uh, a version like that. What is it? Oh, it's the message, Eugene Peterson. Oh, okay. Well, it really captures the essence of that uh, of that me- the passage, uh, the, 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 the real point. And I believe, and I, I don't have the time to go into proper exegesis of this passage, as you might be wondering, is he going to do that? Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't have time. Uh, but let me share this, that in, in verses, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, Jesus says, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. Uh, Jesus says, um, this is who you are. You know, in the Bible, whenever uh, there is a clear identity statement, we must also realize that it's also a mission statement. The same thing in First Peter chapter 2.9. Uh, when there is a clear identity statement, this is who you are. It's actually tantamount to, this is what you should be doing. So this passage is about identity and mission of the church. So... In, as you know, in, in, in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, there is the great Sermon on the Mount. And the first 12 verses of chapter 5 
Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, the character, the character of the kingdom people, how the kingdom people ought to live and the, and the kind of uh, personality that they should have. And then immediately after that, in verses 13 to 16, now Jesus says, this is now how you should be living. This is as a church, this is how you should be living. Um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, did you know that there is not just one commissioning passage that is in Matthew 28, but there is actually another commissioning passage in Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, the commissioning is limited to the, to the, uh, to, to the Jews. In verses five to six, chapter 10, verses 5 to 6, Jesus says, uh, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus was very purposeful. He sent, he sent his disciples to give the Jews the first opportunity to hear the gospel and to really experience the kingdom power of healing. And then when the Jews rejected that, and then Jesus sent the same disciples, and now I want you to go. Whereas before in chapter 10, you can only go to the lost sheep of Israel. And now go and therefore make disciples of all nations. Go to the Gentiles and, and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, teach, te- and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is very purposeful. He knows what he's doing. And uh, he, he wants to know, he wants his church to know what it is supposed to be doing. The church has to have a very clear mission statement. But you know, I find that uh, as a pastor of a local church myself, it is sometimes very easy to lose sight of why we exist as a church. You know, because there are so many things happening in the church 24 hours a day that sometimes you lose sight of the big picture. So at Yongnak, where I pastor, uh, as a senior pastor, I believe my primary call is to remind the church why we exist as a church. Um, as church gets bigger or gets bigger and, and bigger, it's, in fact, a, a, even a, a more daunting challenge to keep reminding people why we exist as a church. You know, it's so easy in our church, for example, as church is growing, always we have problems with space. Space issues, always. It's, it's, so sometimes we have, I have a staff meeting and I, I say to one of our pastors, do you want to be a senior pastor? Shall we exchange our roles? It's getting too tiring, you know. Um, Every group in the church wants to exert its own interest. So, for example, moms with little children, they want to make sure they have the best facility, best, best time. And then we have the stubborn seniors who will not move. They say the church really ought to look after us first. But we do know that we do want to look after them, but you know, we cannot really say no to the younger generation either. And then we've got the teenagers, the young adults, and so on. Every group in the church is vying for their own space, trying to fulfill their, their interests, their needs. Um, at Youngnak, it's, um, the, the challenge is really daunting because we are not just one homogeneous group. We have the first generation immigrants who speak Korean primarily. We have the second generation who speaks uh, 
uh, English, and then we have ever-increasing multicultural congregation. They have their own needs as well. So the, the first generation will say, it's time that the church uh, begin classes like uh, ESL, because it's hard to, fit, to, to uh, uh, adjust to this new culture, to, to this new society. And then we've got the second generation, and some parents are saying, we need to create Korean cultural schools so that our generation will not lose their Korean heritage, and so on and on. And, and then there are those who will say, no, we need to have a class on multiculturalism, because this is, after all, Toronto, and we need to learn how to live together, and so on. What I'm trying to say is, if the church is only interested in trying to meet the needs of its own people, then we will begin to lose side of the big picture. It's as though we, we think we are here because we want to be fed, we want to be ministered to, we want to grow, and we want to be happy, and we want to love God, and we want to worship God, and, and, and so on and on. But you know, um, that's not what the Bible is saying, and that's not certainly where the Gospel of Matthew is moving. The Gospel of Matthew has a very clear direction. You know, it starts uh, with uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He shall be called Jesus because he will save the sins of his own people. And the big question in the Gospel of Matthew is, who are his own people? We thought they were the Jews. Oh no, maybe not. It's those who are producing the fruits of their repentance. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles, it does not matter. So, at Youngnak, my job is to constantly to remind people, hey, look, we exist, we exist because this is what God has called us to do. So we have a mission statement, just like the Midas muffler and the Canadian tires and the McDonald's. Well, Youngnak also has a mission statement. It has a rather a long mission statement, but to really give you a truncated version, it goes something like this. Youngnak exists to bring the love of Christ to the ends of the earth in word and in deed. That's why we exist. And, and my job is to constantly remind people, look, is what you're doing in line with what, what we are here for? And so, uh, in our church, uh, um, uh, overseas missions is, is heavily emphasized, uh, as probably in other churches as well. So we have uh, missionaries uh, in Kyrgyzstan of Central Asia ministering to Muslim people. Uh, in both cities, Bishkek and Osh. Osh is a very difficult uh, place to minister to. If you're a Christian, you will be found out very quickly. Um, we have uh, work going on in Cambodia uh, among the Buddhists. But a few years ago, it came to, came to my mind that, hey, we, we are so busy sending people to all sorts of places, to literally to the ends of the earth. But we should really wake up to the fact that the ends of the earth have come to us. What are we going to do about that? And, uh, you know, so we, we, we began uh, collecting some demographic information about our city. And then I realized that there are close to, if not more, uh, 200 languages spoken in this city. So I said, well, that's just too many people to cover. We need to narrow down. So we narrowed down to uh, five five people groups who are of Buddhist backgrounds and who come from uh, Southeast Asia. So they were the Vietnamese, the Cambodians, the Laotians, the Thai people, and the people from Myanmar. And we began 
systematically looking for uh, them. Where, where do they live? Do they have Christian witness? Uh, and so forth. And uh, we find, found out that uh, among, among the five, the Vietnamese probably had the most Christian witness. But we began helping uh, each and every one of them. And the Thai, last year, we had this great joy and the privilege of actually seeing the first Thai church uh, being formally planted in Canada. Uh, this was the, the work of uh, 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 a tremendous work of uh, Thai pastors. I think uh, she studies at Tyndale. Yeah. And uh, I know her first name, but her last name is very long. I cannot. Uh, uh, her name is Sue. I don't know if Sue is here. Is Sue here today? Uh, maybe I should tell her to attend the chapel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's in the counseling program. Yeah. But uh, it was really the, the work of the, the Thai pastors uh, and also the help and the prayers of the first generation Korean immigrants. Many of them, when I first gave the challenge, you know, we should really open our eyes to people who are living around us. They said, oh, pastor, but our English, English is limited. We, there's only so much we can express. And I said, don't worry. Actually, your English is far better than some of these immigrants, and they will actually understand you better than those who speak fluently, which I think is, is, is true. Yeah. So, um, so in our church, if you ever come and visit us, um, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, our campus is open to all these churches, and they come and they worship with us, in, in their in their own uh, uh, in their own uh, uh, groups. You see, um, my challenge is this: How do I get the church members to constantly to look outwardly? You know, I'm reminded of of the of the the of what William Temple, the former Arch, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, once said about, about the church. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only club that I know that exists for the sole benefit of its non-members. Very profound statement. So I keep reminding our church members, look, the reason why you and I, we are worshipping here is because there are those who do not. Let's not forget about that. Um, you know, naturally, a lot of people are looking for a good church and they want to build their church to be a good church. And good church is defined as having three B's, according to the Southern Baptist, anyway. Three B's. Building, baptism, and budget. If you got your nice building going, and if you got uh, your budget that's very um, healthy, and if you got your baptism, new baptisms every year, then your church is a good church, and that's a church you, need, you want to attend, and that's the kind of church that you want to build. Uh, but I think we need to go beyond being a good church. I think we need to go to a church, or we need to help uh, make a church that is committed to a purpose, a clear mission, having a clear vision why we exist as a church. Now, some of us are studying in the seminary, and, you know, if you don't know why you are here, you will always complain and argue, like the Israelites in the wilderness. Sometimes, when I, when I was in, in, in seminary, too, I remember those, those days when I was memor- trying to memorize um, Greek declensions. My goodness, why, why are there so many exceptions? You know? But did you know that the exceptions are the privileges of other languages? 
It's, uh, it's a price you have to pay in order to enter into their world. I, when I first tried to learn English, I said to myself, why are there so many exceptions to this language? Yeah. Well, if you don't have a clear purpose and mission in life, you're going to complain and argue. And that's what most churches are doing anyway. They're complaining and arguing because they don't know where they're going as a church. So if you want to uh, help shape God's church, and some of you will become just that, right? Uh, God will use you to be a pastor of a church or to be a lay leader of, that, of, of your church. We need to always ask, why do we exist as a church? You are the salt. You are the light of the world. Jesus has given us both the identity and mission.